Well, over in 1 Timothy chapter 5, 1 Timothy, the fifth chapter, we're going to be picking up at verse 17 after looking in the first half of the chapter, how to deal with some church people. He's going to go on and tell us how to deal with some others, in particular here, how to deal with some elders. He starts off, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. So these are instructions for some good rulers. Of course, there are some bad rulers. So we go through the Word of God. We find out what is a good ruler. What is one who rules well? The responsibilities of a king or one who would rule over those. We put it into three areas here. These are things we've gone over before, but we'll review them again. First off, it is to minimize external threats. In First Samuel 8 and verse 20, that we also may be like all the nations that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. One of the things that they were looking for the kings to do was to fight their battles. They were having trouble with, with battles. That's one of the reasons they wanted a king. Because they would keep being overrun by somebody. They would hire, they would get a judge. The judge would help lead them over a victory. And they saw the reason for it as not having a king. Of course, the reason was that they were not following after God. But they didn't see it that way. They wanted somebody to rule them. Now, every time they needed somebody to take them out from underneath another person's reign or, or harassment, another nation's uh, harassment they would do, he would raise up a person who would help to minimize the external threats. And that's one of the things that a ruler should do. Uh, Jesus refers to a, an elder or a pastor or bishop, whatever you want to title you want to put on. He would look at that as a shepherd. And a shepherd, one of the rules was, one of the job descriptions was to protect the sheep from external Problems, lions, bears, stuff like that. And uh, David, in doing so, of course, killed some of those. So the first thing that they need to do is to minimize external threats. And that's going to be one of the roles of someone who's going to rule over. If you become one who rules over or, or uh, serves a people, as uh, one way Jesus put it, you're going to be keeping an eye out for external threats and warning, taking them out. Uh, whatever it is, using the people that you that you have there to go after them. David took the people that he had and led them in battle. Saul took the people that he had, led them in battle to defeat those who would come after them. So one of the things here, again, is minimize external threats. Then maximize internal resources. That's another thing that the ruler was supposed to do. And in the context of a pastor, you have external threats that are there. You have uh, false doctrine that would try and come in. You have uh, false people that would try and come in, false prophets and so forth. But you also have to maximize the internal resources. You also have to look at what you have and make sure that you uh, develop that, uh, develop it through teaching them the word, develop it through giving opportunities, uh, so forth. So you minimize external threats and you maximize internal resources. And then third, you administer justice. These are the three main things we see in the Word of God that a ruler was supposed to do, that a king was supposed to do. Then uh, in the New Testament times, we're even relating these to the pastors and so forth, that they were to minimize external threats, maximize internal resources, and administer justice. Well, Paul gave Timothy a lot of instructions on how to administer justice inside the church and things like that to do, how to take care of the people that were there and maximize the internal resources, and also gave him a lot of warnings about external threats. So in the area of ruling and having dominion, 
Where has most of our focus been? As a pastor, as a bishop, as a ruler, one who rule, an elder, one who would rule over, where should most of our focus be? Of those three, where should the focus be? Now, there's not a quite a, there's not exactly a set answer for it. <laughs> it, it a lot of times it would depend on the day and the time and the, the, the resources that you have, the, the things that you're facing. If you just look at the United States here, as far as a president or a ruler was concerned, during the time of World War One and World War Two, where would the focus be? External threats. You're not trying to develop. You're not trying to administer justice as much. The biggest thing right now is we have an external threat that's trying to come against us and we need to stop it. And so presidents like Woodrow Wilson in World War One, and um, uh, some of the others, uh, Franklin Roosevelt, of course, in World War II, he died, though, while that war was, was going on. Harry Truman uh, took that over. But their focus that during that time was external threats. But once the war is over, then you've got to be focusing on some other things as, as well. So the, is there a number one responsibility? Crisis or peace can dictate the priority. Whether you are in a crisis, whether you're in a peacetime, that's going to dictate what's, what's going to go on. Saul, when he... F- first came to power, what did he have to take on? The Philistines, an external threat. That was the number one thing facing him. That was the number one thing he had to put his time to. And when David came came around, the Philistines were a problem, but they were not as big of the number one concern as they were under Saul. But he still went out there and he did some battles. But there were some other aspects of, of David's time. He really developed the uh, resources of the of the land. And did a lot of that. Uh, Solomon's focus was uh, was different. Now, under David, how did he do with administering justice? He didn't do as well on that. He was focused on some of the others. And so his son took advantage of him not doing that, saw that as a responsibility, and picked on it and used that as a weakness to get in. Now, Solomon probably developed that area more so than he did all the others. But he also did develop the internal resources because they became as rich as they had ever been. But he didn't really focus anything on external threats. He didn't have any external threats, for one. And uh, he didn't really do a whole lot with those that were there, so much so that when he uh, died and the next one came up, a lot of those people that were paying tribute said, we're not doing this anymore. <laughs> and they, le- they left that thing. They, they saw that they could probably get out from under it. Well, in the area of ministering justice... We have to, uh, there is obedience to what I know. If we're going to administer justice, we have to be obedient to the things that we know to do from the Word of God. We have to be obedient to the things that the Word of God teaches us. We've got to distinguish right and wrong based on God's Word and not on feelings. Justice cannot be influenced by feelings. Justice, in order to be fair, you have to know what is right and what is wrong. It has to be based on God's Word. So that's where you need to make the distinction there if you're going to administer justice and administer it well. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. 
Well, we don't want to become disqualified ourselves. We've got to make sure that we live up to what we know to do, what we are living to do from the Word. If you don't, then as far as administering justice, you're going to have a hard time. And so the, the ruler, the elder, so forth, who's going to do that has to first off make sure that they are living the way that the Word of God teaches them so that they can stand and be judged upon those things that are, they need to administer justice on. So if I falter here, does it have an effect there? Well, David faltered in some of the areas of justice. And that had an effect upon him. In fact, there were some people that he commissioned Solomon. Look, I've, I'm going to paraphrase this, but I basically felt disqualified from judging these people, so you take care of it. <laughs> and so uh, Solomon did that. He ex- executed some judgment on some people that uh, David had uh, kind of let go by the wayside. Maximizing internal resources. We've got to make sure that the people grow in the Word. Grow in prayer. These are just some of the areas. This is not an exhaustive list, but grow in the Word, grow in prayer, grow in influence. We want people to, in their, their word knowledge, their understanding of the word, the word that they're living in, the word, how it becomes alive to them, they need to be growing in that. Uh, prayer, that we should become more and more effective at prayer. We should learn more about how to talk with God. Prayer should become more of a, an easier thing for us. Uh, influence, we should have more influence on people that are saved and influence on people that are not. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 6, let him who is taught the word, share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For if he sows to his flesh, will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit, will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in this season, for in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all especially to those who are of the household of faith. Well, we need to grow in, in influence in that. Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. If you want to reap the influence, or you want to reap anything, but if you want to reap influence, you need to sow some things into that in order for you to reap those. People don't, don't just become influenced. You've got to sow something into those folks. You gotta show them that you care. You gotta help them. You gotta put into them. Whether they are born again or whether they are not. If you want to grow in your influence over other people, you need to sow some things into them. He goes on in uh, Hebrews chapter 13. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So here's the fourth area. Grow in submission. If you were going to rule over people, help people, be a, uh, a good elder, be one who rules well, you, they're, the people that are under you are going to grow in their submission. They're going to grow in their submission one to another. They're going to grow in their submission to God. They are not going to grow and be independent of God. They're not going to grow and be independent of themselves. I'm a, I am who I am. Then this is one way that you can tell how some of the people are that are under somebody is are they developing an attitude that says I'm my own person or are they developing an attitude that says I am God's, I am submitted to him, whatever he wants, and they also submit one to another. This will show you. That's uh, one who who would rule well there. First Timothy, uh, back to First Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. 
So what he's saying here is, uh, Timothy, when you're looking out over all those folks that are helping you in the ministry and you have put certain ones in charge of ruling those, those who rule well, those who do this in a, in a good way, who do this uh, in a beneficial way, you're seeing some of the signs of that. Let them be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. Well, apparently some of those that are going to rule are not all laboring in the word and in doctrine. They're not all teachers. But there are are some other areas. But he says, let them all be worthy of double honor, be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. Because sometimes people look on that as that's not all that hard. For the scripture says, you shall not... Well, they do. (laughs) For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Well, when an ox is out there treading out the grain, he's working. So he's basically saying this, when the ox is working, don't make him not eat. That's going to take away the motivation from the guy. And he's not going to want to work as hard. You can muzzle him some other times, but during that time when he's out there working, don't you be doing it. That's what he's basically saying. So so uh, Paul is telling Timothy this, make sure you take care of those guys. That's what he's telling. He's, he's, this is a commission to Timothy. This is not to the people. This is to, to Timothy. You make sure you take care of those guys. Don't don't look at what they do. Don't let other people look at what they do as not being counted as all that worthwhile. Make sure that you that you you see that as uh, as valuable. And I'll tell you what I've noticed this with with people in other churches. I've, sometimes I get in some you know people come to you and they say, "Oh, we got this situation going over here, this situation going over here." And sometimes because of what I've been through, I can recognize some stuff. I remember uh, not too long ago. Somebody was, was coming to us and they were telling us about a situation with somebody who was in a church and they were serving in some kind of capacity of that church and doing some things and they were putting a whole lot of time into it. Um, and and they, they, their church was small. They weren't able to pay them. But beside not being able to pay them, there was something they were doing that was wrong. And when I heard the situation, I could recognize it because I was in the same situation myself. I'd, and I told them, I says, look, tell them to get out of that because the church, the pastor does not value them. And that was important. I didn't realize that was even being done to me, but it, uh, but it was in the situation I was in. They, they didn't value the position. They didn't value what I put in there. And so I could do all sorts of stuff, and uh, I'd work hard, I'd do all sorts of things, and, and uh, the, the, <clears throat> the things that they did perplexed me for a while. I didn't understand it. And then I understand why God said, you need to get out of that. Because you, you don't want to be in a situation where they where that is going on. It has an effect on you. If people look at it and say that's not valuable. Now there's a whole lot of people in in church. We've had people that have come through here. And some people value certain things more than others do. There are some people who value the word of God. And they value that that they're in a place that the word of God gets opened up to. Some people value worship. And they see that as a valuable thing. And they honor it as such. But there, there are some people who, the, 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 way, the things that they value, and you can tell them, i tell you what, I've gotten better at it. I can tell them a whole lot faster now than I could before. But there are some people who just don't value the right things. And it's why their loyalties are, are not what they ought to be. There are some people that are extremely loyal. I, I thought it always amazing that some of the people in church that receive the least are the most loyal. And usually the ones who demand the most are the least. I've gotten to the point where I can recognize the language 
of people that are unappreciative. I can recognize, I can recognize it while they are singing the praises of the people that are helping them and, and doing things. I can recognize it. And everything on the inside of me just wants to jump up and say, you don't value it. <laughs> but I just sit there and you watch it. And, I, you know, one, two, three months down the road, they're over here, they're singing the praises. Oh, you guys are this, you guys are that. You, you're just such a blessing. And then what happens? Gone. Why? Because they didn't really value it. You can tell, not by the words, but you can tell when people have a value for a thing. And so that's why if you are in a position of rulership that uh, Paul has been describing to Timothy, if you have people that you serve, that you help, don't get hurt by the ones who just seem to walk away. If you tune your ear, you can hear the people who value what you do. And when you see the people who don't value it, don't put a whole lot of stock in what they say. When they come and they, they praise you, accept it, but just understand it's shallow. It doesn't have as much meaning as they want to try and have it uh, put on as. And it's just they're not in that position yet. They're not in that place. Boy, you tell you what, you sure hope that people can get there, don't you? Ah, oh, tell you what, it's, it's so much better for them if they don't. But there are people, they will be here singing your praises for a week, two weeks, a month, and then all of a sudden they're gone and they don't even know anything about you. Years and years and years ago, there was a, there was a family and they had, um, I think up to that point, they probably put more of a demand on my wife and I than anyone else. I mean, the things that we were doing, the things we were being called to do, you would shake your head and say, dear Lord, I, I can't, I, I thought of it a few times, I wouldn't even have thought to ask a person in the church to have done this sort of thing. And then, um, and so we were doing those kind of things for them, helping them out. They were in all kinds of trouble in all kinds of ways. And all of a sudden they didn't come out to church anymore. And my wife would call them and they'd never call back, leave messages, never call back. I'd go to the door and no one would answer. One time the little kids, I guess, didn't get the message right and they answered the door and they would just say, well, mom's upstairs in the shower. <laughs> And so, and one time we got them where um, I, I went over again, and they said, um, "Oh, she's right there." I guess mom didn't give them the instruction, so she had to come to the door, and uh, we just asked, you know, why is it that you you cut us off? Why did why did you do that? Well, they didn't value the things, and then they felt embarrassed and they didn't want to come by. Well, we you know we started going to a church over here. It wasn't it wasn't more than a year. They had all sorts of trouble. They didn't value the the word. They uh, split up. She got into an affair. He got into some things that he shouldn't have been into. They split up, and uh, neither one are following God anymore. And the kids got hurt out of it too. But you can tell, if you if you just develop an ear for it, you're just not surprised. I think the worst thing is when we have people we're trying to help, we get surprised by them. Oh man, I thought they really valued this thing. I thought they were really, uh, I thought they really appreciated this thing. I, th- I really thought that they that no, they didn't value it. And I, I learned some things through that experience at church. I learned how people lie to you about what they value. Because that's basically what they did. They lied to me about what they valued. They didn't value the things that they said that they valued. And um, I would have done myself a whole lot better if I listened to God and got out of it. But uh, what was interesting was we told these people, 
the same thing. I said, look, I stayed in a situation like that and it took me a year getting out of ministry before I decided to get back into it again. And uh, I said, don't do it. Don't stay with it because you're going to get discouraged and you're not going to get back in ministry. Doggone if they didn't drop out of ministry altogether. <laughs> I'll tell you, it's a, it's a shame to hear it. But you you got to understand the importance of this. There are going to be people under you who value the things that you do. And there are going to be people who don't, who just take advantage of it, who just enjoy the thing that's there. Just understand you're going to have both. You shouldn't have, uh, you shouldn't have the ones who don't value you. And that's what Paul is, is telling him, Timothy, as far as you're concerned, you make sure you value the things that those people put in there. Don't, uh, don't count it as, as light. So he goes on in verse 19. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. Now, this was changed through the years. This was one that they followed for a while. But after a while, this became changed in the church. They didn't just look at it as two or three witnesses. They changed it to become two or three believers. I I think it's probably a a good idea. (laughs) They wanted Christians or believers. They didn't just want to take two people. They wanted to take two people who were believers. They had a history of being a believer. They knew them to be a believer. And then they would listen to it. But if you brought two people or one person who was a believer and one person who was not a believer, they counted that as one. And I think they were right for doing it. I, I think if Paul thought, of the, thought it through, he's probably even saying to people in the church. He's probably not even looking to people outside the church. But they may not have heard it that way initially. But they eventually changed it to that. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. Now, this is important. If you're going to bring an accusation against a leader in a church, an elder, someone who rules over people, if and you know, people bring accusations. If you're going to bring an accusation, make sure there's at least two people. I think preferably three, but a minimum of two. And he says two to three. You don't have to go get a dozen. We're not looking for that. We're not looking to make this a big deal until we find out. You get two or three witnesses. You bring those two or three witnesses in. You have a powwow. You bring this thing down. Uh, let them accuse them face to face because, you know, hearsay is not going to be a whole lot of good. So two or three witnesses. We don't need four or five. We just need two or three. <clears throat> but you need two or three. If you only have one, what you should do, what should you do with the accusation? <clears throat> Look at what he says. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except two or three. You need to have two or three people who can come in and verify that that thing that went on. If not, you are not to receive it. So if someone in the church, highly respected person, lowly respected person, new person, doesn't matter. If one person in the church comes to you and says, so-and-so said this, so-and-so did this, what should you do? Nothing. Not receive it. Well, I appreciate you do that. I appreciate you. Uh, I, I can appreciate that that's what you, you think, but um, we need. <laughs> now, I hold this for pretty much anybody in the church because we've had accusations. Most of the time over the years, you've never even heard of them. Unless there was something that they came to two or three. But I had a, a last couple of years anyway, some person brought an accusation against someone else in the church. It was only one person. 
No one else heard it. No one else did anything about it. So what did I tell that one person? Well, I can't do anything. And it's not a matter whether I believe you or whether I don't believe you. It's not a matter of me judging between you and the other person or picking one over the other. It's simply, I can't move on it. And, and, and let it go with that. I never brought it up to the other person that they accused because I only had one, one witness. Don't receive it. So that's how you do it. You don't get yourself in trouble that way. You need to have at least two or three. Now, if uh, you don't, it doesn't have to necessarily be on the same account. Say that one person was doing things to a group of, to several people and he did the same thing over here and then the same thing over here. Well, now I got two people that say that, that this person did the same thing different times to different people, but it's the same thing. So you see something there. So then you would probably bring that. Look, I got two people in the church. They're telling me that you're doing this. What's going on? And well, no, that's not true. All right, well, I'll tell you what. Let's sit on down with those people. And, and then you get a face-to-face. See, there's a, there's a way to go about this. But if you only have one person, you don't have to decide which one you like better. That's, that's the real beauty of it. You don't have to decide which one you like better and go with it. No, it's simple. I can't do anything about that. I'm not supposed to receive that. So uh, we don't do it. We'll let that go. So be, feel free to do that and understand that it's it's okay. It's by the Word of God. Paul is telling Timothy, obviously there's going to be people who are going to come up in the church. They're going to make accusations against people. They're going to come against people. They're going to say things against them. But make sure that you got at least two or three. If you have two or three, take it on to the next level. If you don't have at least two, let it go. Then he says, those who are sinning, we've got the two witnesses. We've sat the two witnesses down. It hasn't gone very well. They don't want to repent. Those are who are sinning. This is talking about an elder. It's not talking about just a regular run-of-the-mill person in the church, not helping out anybody else, not ruling over anybody else. It's talking about an elder. Those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that the rest also may fear. In other words, we want to make them shake and quake in their boots a little bit. So you got to do it in front of other people. Yeah, that's not so much fun as that, but that's what the Word of God says. So once the fall is established, the rebuke is in order. You, you can't just let it go. You need to rebuke them and not just rebuke them privately. That's what he's saying. We're not telling you to rebuke them privately. If they are an elder who rule over other people, you need to rebuke them publicly. Again, this is a matter that involves witnesses. If it's a personal matter, it's not a matter that it involves witnesses. We're talking about a matter that involves two or three witnesses. Because that's the context of it. So those who are sinning, rebuking the presence of all, that the rest also may fear. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 11, Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter, before them all. 
If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles, and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? So you see, this was a matter that dealt with witnesses. On this, he would have had some people who said Peter acted this way. He would have had at least two or three. And he would have acted on it based on that two or three. But he didn't just rebuke him privately. He rebuked him publicly because it is a public matter. He was bringing other people into the sin. And so it needed to be rebuked publicly so that the others would also correct themselves. And so that those who were not rulers, those who were not elders, would also get out from following that kind of a pattern. Now, rulers can miss it. And he's not saying that you, 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 he didn't throw Peter out of being a ministry. He didn't say, Peter, you're no longer fit to be an elder or an apostle or anything else. He, he had him go on. Now, fortunately, Peter listened to it. <clears throat> he didn't just say, Oh, you're a liar. Oh, I didn't do that. He, he, re, he listened to it. Yeah, 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 you're right. I shouldn't be doing this. I'm not sure how I got pulled into that, but I shouldn't have been doing it. He corrected himself. And that's a good thing. And he went on and everybody else saw that was corrected. And they made the adjustment inside, and that's what uh, needed to have happen. So he then goes on. In 1 Timothy 5, verse 21, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ that and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. Uh, he's saying this to Timothy. Timothy, there's going to be some people in the church you really like. There's going to be some people in the church you really enjoy. And there's going to be some people in the church you kind of wish you weren't there. He says, but you cannot let that affect. You can certainly have that. There are some people that you're going to relate to better. There are some people you're not going to relate to as well. But that has nothing to do with with justice. You observe all these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. You cannot be partial to this one over here, not to this one over here. Can't be doing it. You make sure that you stay independent of your feelings because a person who is going to rule well, we've already had the qualifications, you need to be able to separate yourself from those feelings. And so he's just kind of reinforcing that here. Do not lay hands on anyone hastily nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. Now what he's talking about here is putting someone in the position of elder because that's what we're talking about. You would have a laying on of hand ceremony. You would put them in the place, so forth. He says, don't do this hastily. Because if you do it quick and you don't have that time to observe them, to see what their lifestyle is like, to make sure that they fit the qualifications that he laid out for an elder. If you don't do that, you're going to find out that they're involved in some sin. They're doing some things to people. They're bringing some people in. And you've got to go through that two or three witness thing you got to rebuke them in front of all, but what's going to happen is you're going to share in that because they serve with you. Because you brought them in. So he says you need to be careful. Don't lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. So you make sure. This is uh, for the preservation of you as the leader and the preservation of the church. You make sure that you keep an eye out. Get to know the people. Just because they uh, seem to be a good person, just, seem, just because they seem to be able to handle themselves well, doesn't mean that they b- deserve to be in that place of leadership. No longer drink only water, 
But use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. Now, it seemed that Timothy and I were kind of on the same par here. We, we stayed away from that stuff. Because he says here, no longer drink only water. Apparently up to now, he's only drinking water. He's not drinking any wine. He's decided not to pursue wine. For whatever the reason. Some have even supposed that maybe he had a Nazarite vow. We don't know what the reason was. Maybe he just didn't like this stuff. Whatever the reason was, he apparently wasn't drinking it. And Paul knew this about Timothy. He knew some things about it. So he says, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. Now, their situation was different than our situation. Their water wasn't as clean as our water is. And so sometimes wine helped to purify the water. Thank God I didn't live in those days. Because I don't know, maybe their wine was a little bit better. Or didn't have as much alcohol or whatever it was. Maybe I could have stomached it a little bit more. But anyway, he's telling him, look, I know you've got this belief to stay with water only. And to stay out of the thing with wine. But look, your stomach's taking, it's taking a toll on your stomach. The water that you're taking, your stomach's not handling it real well. And you're having some infirmity. You're having some weaknesses because of it. So he says, look, do this. You need to be up to par. You need to be physically up to par for this. So get yourself physically ready. Take a little wine. You're not going to be a bad example. You're not going to hinder anybody. Take a little wine for your stomach's sake. It's okay. Paul's telling him that. So basically, if anybody had a problem with him having wine, he can just point to this letter. Well, Paul told me to. So he doesn't spend a whole lot of time on why it was an issue, why it might be an issue for other people. But he's just given him this release here. Maybe it's something that his parents brought him up under, under some kind of strict thing. You don't do this. And he, how many of y'all know that if you raised under something, you don't do this? You don't do it. He may have been raised that way. Then goes on and says, some men's sins are clearly evident. Well, isn't that true? <laughs> I mean, some people, you can tell. Uh, from their language. You can tell from their actions. You can tell from the way that they treat people by the way they don't treat people. You can tell by the way some people go about doing some things. There are some sins that they have and they are clearly evident. And it says that they precede them to judgment. But those of some men follow later. So in other words, there's going to be some people out there and you can you can tell they're they're missing the mark. And other ones you can't tell as much. But what he's basically saying this is, I rephrase it this way. <clears throat> Obvious sins will lead to judgment. Obvious, obvious sins will lead to judgment. There are some obvious sins that people have and they are leading them to the place of judgment. They're going to be judged for those things. They've made them obvious. They're right out there in the front. But there are hidden ones that will follow us to judgment. Either way, their sins are going to be judged. Either they're going to be out in front and they're going to be leading you there. Or they're going to follow behind if you've hidden them. So Paul was basically telling Timothy this. Look, you may not know all the ins and outs about your leaders. You may not be able to tell if all of them are in sin or not in sin. You may not have two or three witnesses on everything. And you, you might suspect that something's going on, but you can't prove it. He's saying this. There are some people's sins. We're speaking about elders here. There are some people's sins who will lead them to judgment. And there are some that when they get to judgment, they will follow right behind them. 
The Word of God tells us, Paul has exhorted us, that it's a whole lot better that you judge yourself instead of being brought to judgment for the thing. And that surely works for these folks here. Likewise, in verse 25, the good works of some are clearly evident and those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. That's a neat little way to say it. What he's basically saying is, is, is this. Obvious good works are applauded and appreciated. Isn't that right? When we see good works that people do, people recognize it all. This is such a good work. This is such a good person. We appreciate that. And they don't, you don't need to hide all of them. Sometimes you're going to be doing some good things and it's just going to be evident to people. But there are hidden ones are known to God and rewarded by God. There are hidden ones and there are obvious ones. So he says, uh, in the same way that evil stuff is, some of it's obvious, some of it's not, so also is the good. There are some good that people do that is obvious, but there's also some good that people do that's not obvious. But don't worry. Just like in the area of sin, God catches it all. He catches the good that is obvious and he catches the good that is not. But we know from other places in Scripture, if your good is done for the purpose of getting applause and recognition, then the Word of God tells us, you've got your reward. But just because people saw it and recognized it and applauded it doesn't mean you lost your reward. If you didn't do it for that person, you, for, for that reason, you didn't lose it. But if that's the reason that you did it, well, he just says, well, you got your reward. That's why you did it. Other people are doing good things that are recognized by other people, seen by other people, but they're doing it for God. God says, all right, you got recognized, but that's not why you did it. You did it because you're serving, for serving God. A good ruler is not a personality. This is what basically we're kind of summarizing here, what Paul is telling them. Paul is saying a good ruler is not a personality. Sometimes we gravitate to personalities. Strong ones, good ones, beneficial ones, ones that make us feel good, ones that make us feel the way we want to feel. But a good ruler is not a personality, but rather one who protects, preserves, and prepares. One who protects, preserves, and prepares. The goal of the elder, the goal of the ruler, is the one who looks out about the external enemies that are there, and he protects. He preserves the group, to keep them developed, to keep them going on with God. He prepares them for the things that are ahead. And that's what the, that's what the good ruler is supposed to be. It's not a personality. There are some personalities that are this way and some personalities that are that way. It's not a personality that makes a good ruler. These are the aspects of it. One of the things we were at a John Maxwell seminar many years ago. And uh, he did a wonderful thing in that he, he brought people up that had become... Uh, good leaders and good rulers and he uh, he knew them real well and he had one person who was an outgoing type of a person another person who was more introverted uh, he had different types of, of they were all different types of personalities and he was showing us this, it's not the personality that did it and it's not the personality you don't have to change your personality to be the ruler that God wants you to be God made you who you are you know, we got those four personality types they try and uh, do, the, the sanguine, the, uh, um, what are the other ones like? Melancholy, choleric? Melancholy. Yep. 
Yeah, anyway, you got those uh, those personality types in there. And I've looked over them, and I know there is one of those that I have absolutely none of. That's the sanguine. I am not a sanguine at all. There, I mean, everything that a sanguine is, not there. But uh, there's two other ones that I, I, I tend to, to have a lot more of those. They're a little bit of a third, but there's two of them that I tend to, to, to stay more in. But you're going to have other leaders, and they are a sanguine. And they, they are that way. Uh, you can be any kind of personality. But here's what you need to do. Good, re- good leader is one who protects, preserves, and prepares. Guard against things that are external, that try and pull people down, try and harm people. Develop the resources from within. Look out for, for those kind of things because these are what you, what you need to do. These are the things that are on your responsibility as a leader, as one who wants to become a leader. And you need to administer justice. You need to be just yourself. You need to follow after the law and follow after the word. If you don't follow after the law, how can you administer justice to others? You've got to follow after it. We follow those things. We'll be ones who rule well for our God. Father, we thank you for the rulers that we have as our examples. We thank you for the rulers that we have that have looked over and protected us through the years. We thank you, Father, that you have made some of us to be rulers over others. And we get to be helping them in their growth and their development. Help us always keep in mind what is a good ruler. How we can stay in that, that group. How we are to treat those who are good. How we are to value them. That we should look at them as an extremely valuable asset. Not something we just throw off and, oh, they can be replaced. But something that has value beyond anything that this world has to offer. We thank you for them. Look at the time in the Bible when some of these people rose up and they were good rulers and they sowed into the people that were there. Oh, the folks that were there were willing to die for them. Those who followed after Jesus. Those who followed after Paul. Those who followed after John and Peter. They saw how much they put into them. And they were willing to lay their own lives down for them. David had so many of his men that were willing to die for him because they saw what he did for them. Help us, Father, to always value those who look after us spiritually. We thank you for it in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.